Good morning, Grace Fellowship. Uh, I am here this morning with Mitch uh, from Crown Jesus Ministries. We are so glad to have Mitch uh, coming to speak with us uh, just after this to finish out our uh, Holy Habits series as we've talked through all these Holy Habits, worship, generosity, the breaking of bread, prayer, Bible, all these amazing things. Uh, And then we touched on it last week, but Mitch is going to be speaking as an evangelist. And we're going to maybe get into a bit of what that means about this final holy habit of what it means to be making more disciples. So, uh, but first of all, I'm going to interview Mitch. So Mitch, welcome. It's good to have you here. Great. Thanks so much, Paul, for inviting us. Hi, everybody in that Grace Fellowship and those who are connecting online. You are super welcome. I look forward to just having some chat with Paul. And I hope that through the chat and through the message later on that you are encouraged and equipped to, uh, to get on with it, get on with that, the mission of God. These are, uh, Paul, these are great days to be alive. I think it's all about perception. You know, some people look at the donut and they only see the hole. I, I, I see the donut. I see the opportunity. And um, these are great days to be alive. We could have been born in the Middle Ages and not had access to the Bible and medication and not had Zoom. Um, but we've got all of these things today at our disposal to uh, to declare the, the good news of Jesus. And, and in a world that's looking for hope, uh, my goodness, there's no better day to, to champion hope in our streets and our communities. Amen. So we're already digging in and we're not even in the interview yet. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so Mitch, let's just start off to get a bit of context on you before, before you give us more and before you talk to us. So tell us about yourself. Who are you? Where are you from? What does your life yeah. look like now? Yeah, yeah. I, I keep it short. I grew up in... Uh, East Belfast, still live in East Belfast. Uh, and the irony, Paul, is I've lived in the same house for 43 years. So, uh, and the backstory of that is that um, my dad sadly died when I was 13. Mm-hmm. And uh, my mom was left with three teenage boys to, to look after. I was the youngest. Um, and then, um, well, so my teenage years were kind of, you know, rebellious years. Quite often that, that's the circumstances for people. Um, mm-hmm. Thankfully, I came to faith when I was 19. But then my, my mom died when I was 25. Um, just uh, about a year before I got married. And then, so the house was then left to me and the three brothers. So I, I, it was a third, a third, a third. So I took a mortgage out for two thirds and stayed in a family home. We put a little extension on. And so uh, I'm actually at home today. Uh, this is not me like in the Middle East somewhere. Um, so that's a bit, a bit of me, my background. I went to Listenershire High School. I wasn't uh, the sharpest tool in the bag, but uh, thank you that, uh, that the Lord found me and rescued me I went on to be a firefighter for 16 years and now I'm full-time as an evangelist with uh, with crying Jesus ministries and family what's family look like now for you <clears throat> yeah so I got a I've got one wife which is good isn't it so it's better to have unless you're in the Middle East then you can <laughs> so uh, Amanda and I are married for 20 years and we have got two children Noah and Megan uh, they both got a lag in college Noah is 15 and Megan is just turned 12 last week. Brilliant. Wow. Just in that intro, a snapshot of a lot of stuff, joyful and, and tough in, in life. Um, random question on the side, but we were just talking about this. Mitch, everyone calls you Mitch. What's your name? <laughs> it's a, that's a bit of an enigma. It's, <laughs> so it's, it's really easy. The answer is my name is Keith Mitchell. Um, my dad's nickname was Mitch. And my older brothers, 
they got mitts too. And so like even when we were growing up, some people used to talk about Mitch Senior, Mitch Junior and uh, Mitch Tittletots. And I was Tittletots. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the Mitch kind of stuck with me more than my brothers. Colin uh, gets called, Colin probably more than, than Mitch. Philip um, gets a bit of both. And um, I didn't really like Keith. I don't, hopefully no one's listening called Keith, but uh, Keith was a stupid name. So, um, so Mitch kind of, kind of stuck with me a little bit more. And then it, when it really kind of, the comedy of it all, Paul, was whenever uh, Facebook and social media took off, I had no idea it was going to go to where it is. So it was um, my brother-in-law in Australia had mentioned about Facebook. And I thought, I'll jump in to see what it's like. And it asked me for a first name and second name. So I just put in Keith Mitchell, put it out. No one would accept my friend's request because they're like, who is it? <laughs> so ran, I recognize that face but, and that bald head, but I just don't know who that is. So then I, I thought, right, I'll very quickly inside a couple of weeks, scrap that account. I'll have to just call it Mitch. And then they asked for a second name. And in the moment, I just thought, I'll just put it where I live, Belfast. So my Facebook is Mitch Belfast. But the comedy, Paul, is I go to churches now and they introduce me sometimes. Let's welcome Mitch Belfast as he comes to share him. Good. There. Fantastic. Okay. Mitch, what about going a bit deeper or lighter? What about your faith journey? You, you came to faith late in your teenage years. Tell us a bit about that and how it happened. Well, um, I, I grew up, uh, my, my parents were Presbyterian. So I, I grew up in the, the height of the troubles, born 1973 and um, grew, grew up in the, in the troubles and uh, in a Protestant community. I had certain views and opinions that most kids had in my school about you know, Catholics, and you learned all the songs, you know, Linfield fan, Rangers fan, Chelsea fan, everything's red, white, and blue. Um, Dad died, then I had those rebellious years, and I wouldn't say I was the worst, the worst kid in the, in the world, but plenty of bad choices in there. Thankfully, I had an older brother, Philip, the middle one, who, who was a Christian, um, and also uh, was a great role model. They both were great role models for me, but Philip, in particular, he was going to play professional football, um, for Ipswich Town, if you can call that professional football. Um, he, he played for the, the, the Linfield and Glentorn and stuff over here. So he was a great witness in me. He came uh, come back from Ipswich and he was sharing his testimony one night in a local church. And at that point, I was starting to search. And my searching wasn't because I, like, I was afraid of dying. It wasn't because I was miserable. I, I loved going to the raves. I was, I was unemployed, going to parties, had a girlfriend for two years who lived up near Kelly's light, nightclub. I was not miserable at all, but I knew I was not complete. That's very important for people who are listening that are, that are perhaps not Christian. I knew my life wasn't complete. So very quickly, my brother was sharing his testimony, another football guy. Some of the, your audience will know Stephen Baxter um, and uh, a guy called Roger Carswell, uh, an evangelist, was uh, sharing. I have no clue what Roger talked about. I just know that he told me that God loved me. And I knew that already. I took a little booklet called A Journey into Life. And in the quietness of, uh, of my own room at home, I read that booklet. Um, I prayed a prayer and invited Jesus into my life. And yeah. the next day is a big day because that's the day where you have to get the courage to tell someone. And I really, the Bible says, you know, you believe in your heart. And you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. And I believe those two parts are, are very, very important. You can't be a closet Christian and be, be quiet about it. And the moment that you speak out about your faith, you step over the line and you step over the line. You become, it's like you put the ambassador's jacket on. You become part of something. And so I say, though, that night I prayed the prayer. You know, if I get, if I get hit by lightning that night when I got into heaven, I, I'm pretty sure 
but yeah. I, I know the next day when I started to like speak it out mm-hmm. and, and actually the speaking out really started my role in the, as an evangelist today inside five or six weeks I was asked to get my testimony in a youth fellowship and then in a church and, and then somewhere else and somewhere else and so then people started to identify that in me and say you're an evangelist so I had to kind of figure out what that was and and so that was when I was 19, I'm 47, I'm 47, yes, I had to check there. Um, yeah. So that, so, you know, that snapshot of, of my faith. Oh, interesting. And then you've already mentioned you worked for the fire service and now crown Jesus. Uh, how long did you work for the fire service and how did the transition happen and why? And tell us a bit about that transition to crown yeah. Jesus. So I was unemployed. And I asked the Lord to give me a job, cut the story short. I, I ended up with three. I was a lifeguard, fitness instructor, busy. Then I started praying, Lord, I need to, I want more time to serve you. And so I seen an advert for the fire service and I heard that shift was really good, like four days on, four days off. I was not a kid that grew up like dreaming about fire engines and, and wearing a, a toy firefighter's hat. It was not me. But I, I just applied for the job because I thought this would be really good tent making. Like, like Paul had his tent making. Wow. And like four and a half thousand people applied for it. Uh, and lo and behold, I got into the top 24, I think it was, to get into our course. So I loved it. I was in there for 16 years. And uh, during that time, Crown Jesus Ministry started. So I was doing that voluntary in my four days off. Mm-hmm. And then it got to the point where, and I think all of us have to get to a point with, with our lives where we have to prioritize what's the main thing. And what are the things I need to sacrifice? And if you've got a calling from God, that's got to be the trump. That's got to be your number one. Some people say, well, if it's your number one, then that's where family life gets affected. No, it doesn't. If, if God has put something in you, God is not going to allow your family to be affected by it because it's from God and only good things come from God. So I knew the time was right. I stepped out of the fire service to take the lead in Crown Jesus Ministries. And, uh, you know, we thank God it continues to grow. We've got 15 staff today. We've been about... 200 schools work with about 60 or 70 churches every year. And we just love telling people about Jesus, whether that's in puppets or drama or whatever. So brilliant. Wow. Good stuff. And, and tell it, we talked about this before, but talk to us about this for a second. You would call yourself an evangelist. And so t- what, what does that mean to you calling yourself an evangelist? And what is that? How is that different than any other person with any other gifting or just explain that out of it, tease that out of it. Great. Well, it's a great question. And there's a whole, like, we could do a whole talk on that on, yes. on its own. But if, if some of the listeners are interested, if you go to our website, cjmedia.online, then you'll actually get me talking about that in a little bit more detail. But very quickly, an evangelist, the word evangelist is only mentioned three times in the New Testament. And the picture you get around Philip the evangelist, about the, uh, the office or the gift of an evangelist in Ephesians 4 and Paul telling Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. If you look around those passages, this is what you see an evangelist uh, doing. And this is the function or the gift of an evangelist. So the evangelist is a gift of the church. That's the most important thing. Hmm. The evangelist is a gift of the church. It's not an ego position. You're a gift. You serve the church. And the evangelist will primarily function in these five things. Number one, He will share the gospel in a very plain, very clear language that people can understand. Number two, he will want to try and reach lost people. He's passionate about trying to find people who don't know Jesus. Number three, the evangelist, he or she, will be a passion about equipping the church, equipping others. And I'll be doing, hopefully, a little bit of that in the teaching. Empowering and equipping and motivating the church to evangelism. 
Number four, there's a strong picture from Philip that the evangelist will uh, move in uh, the gifts of the Holy Spirit and pray for the, the, the sick, etc. And the fifth one is the evangelist will be invitational. So he will put people in the position to say, would you like to become a Christian? Would you like to become a follower of Jesus? So in all of those characteristics of an evangelist, that, that's what the gift that God has given me. Amazing. I love that. And your gift, a servant to the church. That is powerful. Well, Mitch, I won't let you say any anymore because you're going to be speaking to us very soon. And we're so thankful that you're with us. We're so thankful that you are a gift to this uh, church. And I know many others uh, across Northern Ireland. So I'll, I'll let you loose in a second. But first, let me pray for you before we worship. Thanks, Paul. Father, thank you so much for Mitch and for his heart for you and for even the glimpse already we've, we've seen and heard of the story, your story and his story, uh, how you've brought him into relationship and now, now just released this gifting in him. And I pray to, to be and to continue to be a gift to your church that we may be a witness in life and the proclamation of Jesus in the world. So I pray for his words today, God, use them. And I pray for his time and his gifting and his energy and for crown Jesus, God, may they truly be a gift, equipping, empowering, releasing your church to follow and, and, and speak and live Jesus. Yeah, blessings on Mitch. Uh, I pray in Jesus' holy and awesome name. Amen. Well, good morning again, everyone in Grace Fellowship. Thank you, Paul, for the interview. I hope that gives some context to who I am and what I do. And now we want to get into God's Word. And uh, my hope and prayer is that all of you, whether you're watching live or you're watching this pre-recorded, maybe days, weeks or, or months into the future, but uh, my hope and prayer is that God will speak to you through His Word today. We're going to turn to a passage of Scripture look chapter 19. I'm reading verses 1 to 10. This is a very familiar passage of scripture to many who are watching. Uh, perhaps as children you heard this story time and time again. It tends to be a favorite with the Sunday school teacher and it's a story of Zacchaeus. I'm reading from the New King James translation. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and he climbed a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up, saw him and said, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I will stay at your house. So he made haste and he came down and he received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all, when they saw it, they all complained saying, he has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, look, Lord, 
I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house, because he also is a son of Abraham. And verse 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. A brilliant story, as I said, one that Sunday school teachers enjoy. Why? Because, well, kids can identify with it. Um, because Zacchaeus was small in stature and he couldn't see because of the crowd. And kids often can identify with that. Kids love the story of him climbing the tree because that's a great hobby and pastime for kids. And thirdly, kids love it when visitors come to the house. And here they hear in the story of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus had Jesus come and stay in his house. It's a great story for children. But it's a great story for all of us because it is rich in meaning. And it has got many challenges in the story that we can all relate to. And it's my hope and prayer that by the end of my little talk here for the next 15-20 minutes that you will come to a fuller understanding that not only has this story got meaning and relevance to you but you will encounter God in a deep and personal way. And right at the very end I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond just like Zacchaeus did and that you can have salvation come to your house, salvation come to your life and you can receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour. As a teenager growing up, my mum had this picture on the wall. I think from memory she got it at a car boot sale. And it was a picture of three sheep. And the three sheep uh, were like cartoon-like characters. And there was three halos on their head. And the sheep to the far left, it was a black sheep. The halo was tilted and its face, well, was a little bit mischievous looking. And I often looked at that picture and I wondered, but I never asked the question, but I wondered, did that picture represent her three teenage sons? And if so, which one was I? The term black sheep of the family means one who is different, one who is uh, one that others disprove of. I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Everyone disproves of you. A disappointment. Maybe you've let your family down. The black sheep also refers to someone who's been shunned by others or is seen to be a little bit odd or one who has been chosen or been seen to be the outsider due to their actions. Uh, they have left the flock or they don't really fit in. A typical example might be a family member who has chosen to go off and join a cult or another religion or a family member who's left uh, the family business and gone on to pursue his own selfish ambitions. Uh, the idea of a prodigal son, you know, something like that. The term the black sheep originated from the fact of the occasional black sheep that was born in the herd of white sheep. The black sheep was considered undesirable because their wool could not be dyed and they weren't, there wasn't enough black sheep to make black wool. It's just a very odd one was, was black. White was the preferred colour for the wool. It was the most easily dyed and it was the easiest to market. The term is well suited to the character in our story today. A guy in the New Testament called Zacchaeus. And the irony is that his name actually means clean. 
pure and innocent. That's what his name means. And the naming of a Jewish child is deeply significant. At eight days old, every Jewish boy was dedicated into the synagogue to the Lord at a special ceremony called Brit And at this service, the boy is named. Until that point, grandparents, friends, neighbours, they don't know the name. Only the parents and the priests have decided upon the name. At Brit the family gather on this occasion. It's a big day, it's the big moment, and the naming of a child is a significant one. Even today, the naming of a child is a big moment. I've got two kids, Noah and Megan, and of course when the children are born, everyone's asking the big questions, what are their names? My son Noah is 15 years of age, and he was named after that great man in the Bible, Noah, who worked hard for a 100 years, even though people mocked him, he was a man of faith. Megan is named after a girl in a Clint Eastwood movie. So that maybe says something of, of my personality. It was a little girl in a movie called The Pale Rider. She reads from Revelations and she prays that someone will come and rescues her family and village. Enter Clint Eastwood, The Pale Rider with a Remington 1858 Navy Army pistol and an ego the size of Texas. Names are significant. Try to impress a football manager, try to impress a football coach at trials. When they come over and they say, what's your name, son? You want to make sure it's a name that's going to stick. Mitch always sounds a little bit better than Keith. The naming of a Jewish child is the most profound and spiritual moment. The rabbis say naming a child is a statement of the character of that child's path for life. It is a statement of what they hope that that child will become. And to name a child, Zacchaeus, the parents have to be of a certain pedigree and stock because they're going to call the child clean and pure and innocent. Jews place great significance on a child's name. It is no small task. And I can see the smiles of approval on the grandparents, on friends and family, as he is named clean, pure and innocent. They hope and pray that he will grow up to be a man after God's own heart. Now look at him. Zacchaeus is a public tax collector for the Romans, despised by the Jews and a traitor and a public disgrace. Can you imagine how his parents feel of that boy if they're still alive at that time? Let me give you a glimpse of the context, job and lifestyle of a tax collector. The Jews at that point were under occupation by the Romans and Zacchaeus was employed by Herod Antipas. Each day, a chief tax collector, he would send out tax collectors uh, like Matthew, who was a public tax collector. So Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He's others working for him and he would send them out to do his dirty work. They would demand payments and bonds and they would go out and they would ask and tax people in three ways. Fixed tax, toll tax, and what I will call a little bit of zack 
tax. Fixed tax was tax that you were taxed on for food, the number of boats that you owned, uh, the, the number of fish that you'd caught that day, the number of wheels on your cart, uh, the crops that you were carrying. Toll tax was to do with the roads that you were carrying. If your cart was passing a certain road on the way to Damascus from the Mediterranean, whatever it might be, then you would be taxed on that. And then finally, the Zach tax. The Zach tax was a little bit that Zacchaeus would make sure he got in his back pocket. As long as Caesar got what Caesar wanted, Zacchaeus made sure that he also lined his own back pocket with some money. Roman tax collectors were not well thought of. Tax collectors had a lavish lifestyle. Big houses, parties, they had all the entertainment. That was the lifestyle of a tax collector. It's quite possible that Zacchaeus and Matthew knew each other. Maybe even Zacchaeus employed Matthew. We don't know. We don't want to speculate into the story. But the irony is here that Matthew, his name Levi, means priest. And here we have Zacchaeus, who means clean, pure and innocent. What a team they made. Let's welcome Mr. Clean, Pure and Innocent. And here's his buddy, the priest. Zacchaeus was a greedy, low life. That is how he was seen by the Jews. He would tax the poor. He would even tax his own family. The Jewish Talmud describes them as robbers. These guys were crooked as corkscrews and had all the morals of an alley cat. Max Licato describes their job like this in one of his books. Combine the greed of an embezzlement executive with the attitude of a hokey TV evangelist. Throw in the nerve of an ambulance-chasing lawyer and the cordis of a drive-by sniper. Stir in a pinch of a thief's morality and finish it off with a drug peddler's code of ethics. And what do you have? A first century tax collector. And that is what we have in front of us in this story. Zacchaeus. Do you get the picture? The guy is to be avoided like the swine flu or COVID-19. He's a traitor to the Jewish people and to God. They regarded tax collectors as ceremonially unclean, worse than sinners. You'd often in the Bible, you see it, sinners and tax collectors. He was a shame to his family. Everyone kept their distance from him. Parents would warn their kids, stay away from him. Don't trust a word he says. He's trouble. He's a liar. He's a thief. Don't even look at him. No one in Jericho would have liked Zacchaeus. He would have lived a life of dishonor and shame. Everyone would have looked down on him. Pardon the pun. Everyone kept their distance. Everyone except Jesus. Jesus enters the story and Jesus moves towards him. He always did this. He's still doing it today. Jesus moves towards the marginalized of our society. Lepers, beggars, tax collectors, prostitutes, Samaritans, the ones that no one else wants to engage with. Jesus is right there, inviting his love, inviting his hope, his purpose, his peace. 
eternal life. Christ's love for people is repeatedly dramatized in the Bible. We see it in the time-consuming one-person interviews, some of the most significant spiritual discourses and dialogue we have in the Bible is with single individuals. Jesus going after the one, reaching one more, loving one more. We see it in the voyages across the sea just to meet one person. We see it as he relates to Nicodemus and the leper. And again here in the story with the tax collector, he valued every single soul. He took time with people regardless of their position, regardless of their circumstances. The woman of Samaria was just another shameless character that Christ took the opportunity to engage with, to have conversation with, and he turned her life upside down. Even now, in this story, it's his final journey to Jerusalem where he's going to be crucified. And what is he thinking about? Reaching one more. I want to cover very quickly, I'm conscious of time, but three brief points I want to bring out of this story. The first point is this, what does it mean for us as Christians living today? What's the question and the challenge for us? Just like Jesus approached the case, we need to be ready to reach out to everyone in our community. If you're watching online on Facebook, whatever, just even put that into the little comments. Reach everyone in our community. Everyone. Make sure no one is left out. The rich, the poor, the tall, the small, the young, the old, especially those who feel marginalized, especially those who feel ashamed. My goodness, if our church is all just a one kind of middle class, white collar, we have got the picture all wrong. We need to reach all kinds of people, those who are ashamed of their choices, take care of them, love them, help them, let them know that you're on their side. Build bridges with people, not walls. Jesus was the ultimate bridge between sinful man and a holy God. When Jesus died on the cross, he's taking the hand of a sinful man and a holy God and bringing us together. And as his body here on earth, as the church, we are invited to do just that. Of course, we are not the saviour, but we are the bridge builders. Stop building walls and build bridges to our community. Help people connect with God. Let people see that we're on their side. We need to go into our community and love them. Invite them for dinner. Better still, Jesus invited himself to their house for dinner. I love that. I love that. One thing I've learned over the last eight, nine months has been this, that you cannot eat with a mask on your face. And spiritually speaking, we need to take our masks off, engage with our community with laughter and joy and eating around kitchen tables when we're allowed to do that. And let the shame melt away. Let the shame from their lives melt away because they know that they are loved by us. John Forrester puts it like this in his book, Grace for Shame. If the pastor can come for lunch, perhaps God has not abandoned us after all. If the pastor can come for lunch, perhaps God has not abandoned us after all. 
And of course, not just the pastor, but for you and for I, for all of us who are Christians listening, here's the challenge. Are we willing to go and walk across the room, walk across the road and love people? Because that's the key to evangelism. It's not about dumping information on people. It's about walking toward them, loving them, listening to them, eating with them, becoming that bridge. The second point that I want to make is this. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up, and this is what we read in Luke in verse 5. Jesus says this, I must stay at your house. He calls out, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. I must, Jesus said. There is an urgency in the way Jesus invited himself for dinner. And Zacchaeus was overwhelmed. He couldn't have imagined that someone like Jesus would want to spend time with someone like him. Why would Jesus do this? There's a sense of urgency. Immediately. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must spend time with you. And after being overwhelmed with the grace of Jesus, Zacchaeus responds with the grace of his own. And he says that he will give generously to the poor. The point I want to make in this is a very short one, but poignant and important one. That we need to have an urgency about our evangelism and reaching our community. If I'm totally honest with you, in the last number of months, I have been frustrated time and time again with pastors and church leaders who are putting evangelism in the, on the long finger after the pandem- pandemic. Tomorrow, tomorrow, maybe next spring, maybe uh, next summer. Today is the day of salvation. Today, more than any other day, is a good day. It's a God-given day. It's the day that the Lord has made. It's a day for us to reach out and to love others. I'm so blessed and encouraged that at Grace Fellowship, you're getting on board with the Joy to the World program. And tomorrow you start that journey of three weeks, a very simple journey and process of praying for our neighbours, caring and sharing. Praying, caring, practical acts of kindness, and sharing the good news of Jesus with them. And I hope and pray that all of you will get on board with this. It's a very simple process and if you go onto our website, crownjesus.org slash Christmas, you'll get some helpful resources there. And I hope that all of you will get on board with this adventure right now. Don't put it off, but today, start the journey of praying, caring, and sharing. Because until you're caring, you'll never earn the right to share. Praying softens the heart. Caring shows that we've got compassion. And the sharing is when we can invite Jesus in a supernatural way to invade their world. My third and final point is this. There is a very, very clear invitation in this story. That no one is left outside of God's love. And you may be watching this online today. Watching this broadcast and you're not a Christian. And this broadcast in one sense is much like the tree that Zacchaeus climbed. You're on this for some reason. Maybe a friend invited you. Maybe you just stumbled on it. And you're inquisitive. Zacchaeus was inquisitive. He had heard a rumor about this man Jesus who ate with tax collectors and sinners and gave them dignity and gave them hope and gave them a new chance. And maybe you're coming to this today for the first time. This is your tree. Or maybe you're coming for the 10th time 
or the 100th time. But today God is inviting you to come down from your tree, to stop watching from a distance and to invite him, Jesus, into your life as your personal Lord and Saviour. If Jesus can take a disgraced Jewish boy whose name is clean and pure and innocent and how far he had fallen from that. If Jesus can take this Jewish boy and restore him, reminding him he's a child of Abraham and bringing salvation to his house, how much more can God do that for you today? I wonder what your past is made up. If you disappointed a few people, let your parents down, made some selfish decisions, hidden from your responsibilities, held money back for your own gain, threw a few crazy parties, failed to live up to the expectations of your community, you're not alone. Jesus calls the rejected. He calls those who are left out and marginalized. And he still does it today. Whatever your circumstance, whatever your predicament today, Jesus is as close as a mention of his name. And he's calling to you today. He really is. With that same sense of urgency. It's a case immediately. You must come down. Whatever your past, do not let it determine your future. Zacchaeus was rich, well-known and well-dressed. I'm sure he made a bit of a scene when he was climbing the tree. I'm sure people looked, maybe some people laughed at him or mocked him. Maybe his clothes got ripped on the way up. But you couldn't fault his enthusiasm. He got himself into a position where he wanted to look and see. And maybe that's a little bit like you today. And of course, there's this enthusiasm that Zacchaeus then takes the next step. And I encourage you today to take that next step. Undoubtedly, Jesus looked at each person that he came across in his life. And he invites them because he sees the value of the soul. Whether it's Zacchaeus or Mary Magdalene or whoever it might be, every soul has glorious potential for him. It reflects his character. We're made in his image. And he wants you back. He came... He came that you might have eternal life. The finishing verse is this. For the Son of Man has came to seek and to save that which is lost. And so there's a very clear invitation for you today. That you would come and put your trust in Jesus. Let me just in two minutes just sum it up. What it means to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus. And then I'm going to invite you in a prayer to pray with me. Jesus Christ came to bring us back to God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and he saw that it was good and he created you and I that we would be in relationship with him. God said, let us make man in our image. He is inviting us first and foremost in their relationship with him. But man has got free choice. He didn't make robots. He gave us free choice. And in our own selfish ambitions and our own selfish words and thoughts and deeds, we have all turned our back on God. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way. So we're separated from God and that is a great gulf that none of us can cross. None of us can be good enough to enter God's uh, favor. None of us can earn his favor. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
But the good news is God had a son that we've read about here today. His son Jesus. And his son Jesus came into the world as a saviour as we approach Christmas. We're reminded a saviour has been born. Jesus come, that word saviour means rescuer. He came to rescue us and to reconcile us back to God. And so what you need to do today, if you're not a Christian, is very important. You need to first and foremost recognise that you are a sinner and that you are separated from God and that you cannot earn his love, that you're broken and that you need fixed, that you are sinful and God is holy. The second thing you need to do is you need to recognise that Jesus is the only way. Jesus said himself, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And finally, you need to invite Jesus into your life. So you recognize that you're a sinner, that Jesus is your only solution, and that you invite him in your life as your personal Lord and Savior. And the moment that you do that, the moment that you confess your sin and invite Jesus into your heart, he will come in. Christ died on a cross 2,000 years ago to take the punishment that you and I deserve so that we can be reconciled to God. That's why it's good news. If you want eternal life, if you want peace with God today, then I'm going to invite you to pray a prayer with me. I invite everyone to pray this prayer. Father God, thank you for sending your son Jesus to die on a cross for the sins of the world. Father, we are truly sorry for the wrong things that we have done. And we ask right now that you would forgive us, that you would take out our stony heart and that you would give us a heart of flesh, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Jesus is alive today. Invite him into your heart. Amen. I hope you've been encouraged as Christians. You've been encouraged to go into the mission of God, to go in and reach the marginalized, the downcast, the broken, everyone, all kinds of people. The second point was the urgency to do that now. I hope you've been encouraged if you've engaged with this as a non-Christian, that you've came to that point where you've made that decision. And if you have made that decision, please get in touch with Grace Fellowship or myself at Crying Jesus and we'll be more than happy to resource you and to help you on your newfound journey with Jesus. Thanks for listening. God bless.